we, we think of the two people that were just mentioned, uh, the family, uh, the Hoffman family, Lord, and, and we think of the Adams family, and um, both going through, through such difficult times. Uh, Father, we pray for the peace that passes all understanding. Now, Lord, we ask that you take our service this morning. Father, may it uplift and glorify your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we continue to worship the Lord?
your praises loud I was lost in darkness when you put me out I will sing forever
Thank you very much for that. Um, we, from time to time, when we learn of um, awards or um, special things that our uh, church family does, we try to acknowledge those things. Well, I learned just this morning that uh, Logan and Caden McGruther uh, won a talent show, talent contest, and it was at the uh, Northern, help me, Melissa, Northern Dolphin County Fall Fest. Congratulations. <clears throat> and the most important thing was they won $100, right? <laughs> and they said they would share it with all of us. No, 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 they didn't say that at all. They didn't say that at all. Um, they sang, I'm sorry. They sang. You did, sang a duet, right? They sang together. Yeah. Who played the guitar? Oh, you played, you sang and you played a fake guitar. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, good for you. Good for you. We congratulate you this morning. Um, yes, yeah, so on Thursday, uh, some of us are going to go down to Harrisburg uh, to the rally. Um, I don't know if you know it or not, but today is the 15th anniversary of 9-11. 15th anniversary. Can you imagine if it was 15 years ago when those planes struck the towers in uh, New York City? Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful this morning that you are a great and mighty God, and Lord, you have blessed us in so many different ways. We are thankful, Lord, for this country in which you have allowed us to grow up and to live. Lord, yes, there's a lot that, Father, we would certainly like to change, but what a great country it is, and we thank you for that, for the freedom to be able to come into this sanctuary 
Lord, knowing that we can worship with freedom. Uh, Father, we pray that you would protect us. Father, as we think of terrorism and evil around the world today, would you protect this nation? Would you help us, Lord? Would you help us to seek your face and change our wicked ways and turn to you in humility? Father, I pray that, Lord, you would just blanket us with your love and just watch over us in a special, special way. We do pray, Lord, that you would guide the um, service this Thursday, the rally, as Franklin Graham comes to Harrisburg. And, Father, as we stand together, united, uh, praying for our nation, praying for revival, praying that, God, you might work in, in the lives of Christians to bring about change. Father, we ask and we pray, Lord, that you might do that great and mighty, mighty work that only you're able to do. Father, we pray that you would come and just move into our lives, move into the life of this church, and help us to become all that we need to become, to be that shining light, that lighthouse in this world. Again, we thank you that you are a great God, and we come to you and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your hymn book, if you would, please, and turn with me to hymn number 200. Hymn number 200, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the world. We're going to sing all five stanzas. Let's stand together, and we'll sing this great hymn of the faith, the church's one foundation.
know that God, he always, always wanted a family? And that's why he created you. This is the second purpose of the church. This is the second purpose of your life. The Bible is a story about God building a family. Building a family who will love him and live with him forever. That's the story of the Bible. God building a family who will love him and live with him forever. Now, that family is built when people put their faith and trust in Jesus. There are a few things that happen when we trust Christ. There are a few things that happen when we put our faith in Jesus. One of those is this, that God becomes our Father and we become His children. When you put your faith in Christ... God becomes your father, and you become his children. Every human being was created by God, but not everyone is a child of God. The only way to get into God's family is to be born into it. Let me say that again. There's only one way to enter into the family of God, and that is to be born into into it. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And I'd like to read the story of Nicodemus. I want to start with verse 1 and read down through verse 16. Probably verse 16 is the most familiar verse in all the Bible. John 3:16. Well, if we start at verse 1, will understand the context of that very, very familiar verse. So follow along with me, John chapter 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Verily, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Verily, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my sayings. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do not understand these things. Verily, truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. It says he was a member of the ruling council. And he must have seen the miracles of Jesus and probably was quite impressed 
by what Jesus was able to do. And so he comes to Jesus one night under the disguise of darkness, not wanting to be seen by his fellow Pharisees, not wanting to be seen talking to this rabbi, this man called Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus and most likely uh, wanted to talk about the kingdom. Now the kingdom was something that the Jews were looking forward to. A kingdom on earth. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, uh, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. It was an earthly kingdom. And so the Jews looked forward to this earthly kingdom coming that would, uh, that would overrule and, and uh, take over uh, the Roman government. And so the Pharisee, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus at night, not wanting to be seen, and he comes most likely, although he never gets a chance to bring up the subject, the kingdom, Jesus being able to read his mind, knowing exactly why he came, Jesus is the one who brings up the subject of the kingdom. And so he says to Nicodemus, if you're going to see this kingdom, or if you're even going to enter into this kingdom, then you must be born again. Now, Nicodemus, who, uh, remember, Jesus has just come on the scene, and he's teaching these different things, and the Jews, they often misunderstood and didn't understand what he was talking about. So put yourself in the shoes of a Jew, in the shoes of Nicodemus at this point, and you would most likely think what he thought. Jesus speaking about a birth, being born all over again. You too would probably think of a physical birth. How then could I get back into my mother's womb and be born all over again? That was the thinking of Nicodemus, being born again. He misunderstands and thinks of a physical birth. But Jesus is talking about a birth from above, being born from above, a spiritual birth, something given by the Spirit himself. New birth, new life. We today, we speak of that being regeneration. One of the great works of God's Spirit today is to regenerate. Regeneration means to give life. It's the work of God's Spirit to, to give life. And Jesus is speaking of that. The Spirit of God who, who gives life. He goes on to call this eternal life eternal life i like what the niv study bible says regarding eternal life he says this life is an infinitely high quality of life in living fellowship with god both now and forever when we think of eternal life we always think of it as life that doesn't end it is that but it's life that begins now. He says it's an infinitely high quality of life in living fellowship with God. And Leon Morris, he says this, the important thing about eternal life is not its quantity, but its quality. You see, the Bible does speak of life that goes on, that is never-ending. But it also speaks of eternal life as an abundant life. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are given eternal life. And that life begins at that moment when you trust Christ. It is abundant. It is satisfying. It is joy-filled. It is a peaceful life found in God. Not at some time in the future, but right now. And so Jesus when he comes to Nicodemus there in chapter 3, he says, you must be born again. If you want this life, if you want to see this life and enter into this place called heaven, then you must be born again. No exceptions. No exceptions. 
That's why Jesus is able to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. For there is no other way to come into the presence of my Father. Jesus said, you must be. No exceptions. No exceptions. And then we come to this wonderful verse in verse 16. For God, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but will then have this eternal life. You see, not everyone is a child of God's. God created all human beings, but that doesn't make us a part of God's family. The way that we enter into the family of God is found right here in verse 16. Those who believe in him are the ones who will not perish. These who believe in him will be given eternal life. To come into God's family is to come into God's family God's way. And God says, here's my son. You as mankind, you have failed me. You have sinned against me. You have broken my law. Therefore, what you deserve is to perish. N not eternal life. But here's my son who has died on this cross. And when he died, he shed his blood so that we might have our sins forgiven. Now believe in Jesus and you will not perish, but you will be given eternal life. Yes, life that never ends, but also an abundant life right now. Right now. You see, eternal life doesn't start in the future. It begins the moment you enter into the family of God. And so God in this verse invites all. It's an invitation to all of mankind. Believe in my Son and be saved. Believe in my Son and you will never, ever perish. Believe in my Son, Jesus, and I will give to you eternal life. And when that happens, God becomes your Father and you become His children. You then enter into the very family of God. But something else happens when we trust Christ. Believers become our brothers and sisters. Now, look around you. <laughs> look around you. Look at the person sitting next to you. Uh, that is your brother or that is your sister, spiritually speaking. You see, when you put your faith in Christ, we become a family. And we really are, in Christ, brothers and sisters. We get siblings. Now, maybe you wish that person that you see at times was not, a, but they are. You know, we, we, have, we get tons and tons and tons of, of these brothers and sisters. It's not just us. This is universal. Throughout the entire world, we have brothers and sisters who have trusted Christ in the same way that we have. And we all belong to each other. And we're all going to live with each other forever. Think of that. You and I get to spend time with each other forever and ever and ever. So if that's the case, how should we be treating each other right now? You know, if you have children or you are, um, maybe you have a brother or sister, you know that Brothers and sisters sometimes can get into it, right? Siblings don't always get along. But how are we, if we now are related to each other, then how should I treat you? How should you treat me? Well, God wants his family to be known for its love. 
We just read that God is love. And so our love is sourced in him. God is love, and he wants his family to be known for their love. And so we move to John chapter 13, and we find what uh, we, we, we look here at John chapter 13. We jump down to uh, verse 34, and um, Jesus gives to his disciples a new command. John chapter 13 and verse 34 It says this, a new command I give you. Here's my command to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is Jesus trying to say? (laughs) Well, it's quite clear, isn't it? You who are in my family, you who are my disciples, my followers, I'm commanding you to love each other. You must. You as brothers and sisters must love one another so that when people look at you and look at us, and see this family of God, they want what we have. They want to be a part of something. You know, everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to belong. And God has created his family because he loves them and wants for us to love each other. One of the greatest witnessing tools that God has given to us is the love that we have for one another. That when people look at Word of Life Chapel and they see how we relate to each other, how we love and how we care for one another, what a great witnessing tool. And that's why God set up His family the way He has. Our greatest witness is our love. So how do we learn to love each other? How do we learn that? You know, love can't really be developed in isolation. You need to be around people to develop the skill of love. We need to be around one another. Yes, even irritating people. Yes, even imperfect people. Yes, even frustrating people. But we need the fellowship to be able to learn how to get along and how to love one another. It's through fellowship that we develop this skill of loving. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 17, it says, Love the family of believers. Love the family of believers. Someone has once said that relationships are what life is all about. Relationships or what life is all about. You see, first, we love God. And that was the purpose last week. That's worship. And then we love one another. You know, I've been at the bedside of uh, many people who, in their very final moments, and, um, you know, I don't know of anyone who ever asked in those last days, to see a trophy that they had won or an award that they received. No one ever asked for their bank account or to have one last glimpse of the car in the driveway. But in those final moments, people want to be surrounded by the people they love and the people who love them. Because life really, in the end, is about relationships, is it not? It's not about the big car. It's not about a bank account. It's none of those things. Life is about relationships. First of all, our relationship with God. We have to love God with our heart and soul and mind. But we also need to develop relationships this way. Because God's family 
is about relationships. You know, someone said, well, not someone, Rick Warren in his book said, he said, one of the best expressions of love is time, T-I-M-E. One of the best expressions of love is to give someone your time. You know, time is one of the most precious gifts. You know why? Because you only have a certain amount of it. You can always make more money, but you can't make more time. The greatest gift, Rick Warren says, you can give anyone is your time. And this is an expression of your love. Relationships take time. Relationships take time. Lots of it. And as he says, he says the best way to spell love is T-I-M-E. And the best time to love is right now. The best time to love is right now. There's no guarantees of tomorrow. There's no guarantees of tomorrow. Circumstances change. People die. Children grow up. And I guess the reason I'm getting emotional is because I have written here my four grandchildren. And I see them growing up so fast. We went and got Mila a big girl bed. She's three years old, but if you ask her, she's four. No, she, how does she say that? You ask, she's three and a half, but she said, oh no, you ask Mila how old she is, she's three and a half. She'll say I'm half four. <laughs> it sounds a little older, doesn't it? Half four rather than three and a half. And so we got this little girl, three and a half years old, a big girl bed. And Mason, my goodness, he's in kindergarten. He'll be six this month. I look at age. He'll be a teenager next year, his next birthday. A teenager. And Brindley, this little girl who is just growing up so fast. I look at these children, how fast they grow, and I, I say to you moms and dads, the best love you can give to your children is time because you're going to turn around one day and they're going to be up here. They're not going to be down here anymore. Relationships, let me tell you something. Relationships are so important. It's not about these other things. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, give your children time. That's what they're looking for. The third point, okay, enough of the emotion. The third point, the church becomes our spiritual family. We were created for community. God created us for community. The Bible knows nothing of solitary saints and spiritual hermits. We were meant to live in community, to live in fellowship. That's why this chapter that he, that he writes, Rick Warren, says we were formed for a family. God created us for community, for fellowship. And he speaks uh, in his book about a place to belong, a place to belong. And I want to read a few uh, sentences from uh, this book that he has written. Um, he says, the church is a body, not a building, an organism, not an organization. If an organ is somehow severed from its body, it would shrivel and die. It cannot exist on its own, and neither can you. Disconnect and cut off from the lifeblood of the local body, and your spiritual life will wither and eventually cease to exist. We need each other. This is why the first symptom of spiritual decline is usually inconsistent attendance at worship services and other gatherings of believers. Whenever we become careless about fellowship, everything else begins to slide too. The person who says, I don't need church, is either arrogant or ignorant. 
The church is so significant that Jesus died on the cross for it. Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. The Bible calls the church the body of Christ. I can't imagine saying to Jesus, I love you, but I dislike your wife. Or I accept you, but I reject your body. But we do this whenever we dismiss or demean or complain about the church. Instead, God commands us to love the church as much as Jesus does. The Bible says, love your spiritual family. Sadly, many Christians use the church, but they never really love it. There's a verse in 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 3, and it says this. Let me read it to you. Actually, 1 John 3.16. We just looked at John 3.16. But in 1 John 3.16, it says this. Listen. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for us. And we, Christians, ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You know what this is saying? It's saying that God expects us to be as committed to each other as we are to Jesus himself. That we should be willing to lay down our lives for one another as Jesus has laid down his life for the church. In Acts chapter 2, There we read of the great devotion that the early church had. And it says that the early church had devotion toward the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, so we're talking about this morning, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Notice the importance of fellowship, the importance of community. They were devoted to the Word of God and the Apostles' teaching. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to communion, the breaking of bread, and to fellowship. And to fellowship. So let me put a plug in here for the small groups in the Sunday school class that's going to start next week. This is a large group, right? This is a large group. We do have a greeting time, and this is our time during the worship service to enter into some kind of fellowship. But it goes on for two minutes or three or four or how long ever it goes. That's not a very long time. This is a large group. We're starting small groups. Real fellowship can take place in small groups. Much better than a large group. I love worship in a large group. And the singing is always much better when you have a group such as this. I doubt whether singing in your small group is going to be too well received. If you in your living room decide, okay, we're going to start singing hymns. Maybe you will. Maybe you will. But you have a group of eight 10 or 12 people, the singing isn't quite the same in a living room as it is in a sanctuary. There are advantages to large groups, but there are advantages to small groups. One of the advantages in a small group is fellowship, developing relationships. I can remember back, you know, I was looking at the opening cover of this book uh, in 2003, and this was the uh, book we used, uh, 40 Days of Purpose, with our first small group. And I can still remember those who were in that small group, and there's still that special bond between some of you and and Sue and myself because we were in that small group. There's something that happens in a small group that that you can't have in a larger group. Same with a Sunday school that's going to start next week. A young couples class, uh, young adults meeting downstairs under the leadership of, of Tim Pritchard. Well, I'm excited about this group. 
know, here's a group of young people who can get together, have interests alike, and share about their children and things that are going on. But it's a small group. Sunday school is a small group. You can have a much more discussion. We had a bit of a lively discussion this morning in Sunday school over in the fellowship hall regarding putting out a fleece. You know, putting out the fleece there, Gideon, chapter 6 of Judges. There's something happens in a small group that doesn't happen in a large group. So I encourage you to plug into smaller groups because that's where relationships can really be formed and bond. He ends his book by saying that we need to protect the church. If this is where we come for worship, and this is where we come to fellowship, then we have the job, we have the responsibility to protect the unity of the church. That's not just the responsibility of leadership. That's everybody's responsibility. If this is where we worship, and this is where we fellowship, and this is the church we love, then we all have the responsibility to protect this church and protect its unity. As Rick Warren says, you destroy the church, and it's like ripping out the heart out of the body of Christ. So in this chapter, Protecting the Church, he says a few things, and I want to close with these. He says, first of all, focus on what we have in common and not our differences. Focus on the things we have in common. Listen, we all have disagreements. We all have differences. That's okay. But we need to focus on those things that we have in common. We have the same salvation, the same life, the same future. These are more important than our differences. Conflict, he says, is usually a a sign that the focus has shifted. You know, the Bible speaks of disputable matters and um, uh, these issues where we focus on personalities and preferences and interpretations and styles and methods. Focus on the things that we have in common. Be realistic in your expectations. Listen, there's no perfect people in this church. I hope you know that. Be realistic in knowing that, you know, we all make mistakes. Choose to encourage rather than criticize. Choose to encourage rather than criticize. It's easy, he says, to stand on the sidelines and take shots at those who are serving. Be an encourager instead of a criticizer. Oh, the music's too loud. Ah, they sing too many hymns. Look at how he dresses so inappropriately. They let the kids run over in the fellowship hall. Come on. Let's grow up. Let's grow up. Don't criticize. Don't compare. Don't start to judge. Refuse to listen to gossip. Listen to this one. Refuse to listen to gossip. Gossip is passing on information when you're when you are neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. People who gossip to you will also gossip about you. Wow. So when someone gossips about someone else, just remember, when you turn your back, that person is probably going to gossip about you as well. And in Proverbs chapter 17, it says this, um, troublemakers listen to troublemakers. And if you listen to gossip, God says you're a troublemaker. And then finally, support your pastor. Thank you. (laughs) And your leaders. Again, he says there are no perfect leaders. No perfect leaders. You know, oftentimes leadership is given that impossible task of trying to please everyone. When Rick Warren says, even Jesus couldn't do that. (laughs) Even Jesus was not able to do that. So, protect the church. Protect the church. I close with his words. What are you doing personally?
to make your church family more warm and loving? What are you doing personally to make this church more warm and more loving? There are many people in our community who are looking for love, and they're looking for a place to belong. The truth is, everyone needs and everyone wants to be loved. And when people, when they find a church where members genuinely love and care for one another, you would have to lock the doors to keep them away. Father, we thank you this morning for the church. Father, it is so good to be able to belong, to be a part of a family, a spiritual family. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a church to have genuine love and care for one another. And that we, Word of Life Chapel, we might be known for that love and for that care. And that others would look at us and want to be a part of a church like this. Father, we are in your family. You are our Father. We look around, we see brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to love each other as Jesus has loved us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hymn number 207. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Four stanzas. Let's stand. We'll sing this hymn and we'll be on our way. this morning. I am thankful to be a part of this body of believers. Father, you have brought us together. Father, I'm thankful that you have done just that. I, I pray, Lord, as, as we leave. It is truly, Father, or it is true, we, we leave and we, we separate, and yet, Father, we go out into a world that needs to see our love. And so I pray that this would be that great witnessing tool that Father, we might be that shining light in this community that might attract and draw people uh, to yourself. So again, this morning, Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful that you've allowed us to come together as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.